right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And fired up, man. We, we bring back one of our favorite guests. This dude is straight wild. We got some great memories from SEMA to shows to all kinds of stuff with this guy. Um, and I, I got to tell you, not a better buddy to show up to your house on a weekend and say, hey, you want to do some welding? Than our buddy Bob. And man, we're bringing the house down today with all kinds of cool tricks. You know, and some things that you may not be thinking about, but maybe you will. But guaranteed you're going to learn something today when it comes to TIG welding, right? That's right, man. We got the Wizard of Welding. Uh, Welder Bob, man, and this guy has decades, decades. Uh, one of the biggest welding companies in the world. Uh, a company that, you know, pretty much designed, developed most of what we use today, uh, ESOP. So this guy was not only, uh, you know, a welder uh, through and through. The guy can lay down beads, whatever type of welding. He's a trainer. He's a teacher. He goes to uh, plants and he helps set up equipment. Uh, and he, anyway, he's really involved with even the, let's say the new product development, making sure it's got all the features, making sure it operates right. This guy knows the weld and the science and it's amazing, man. He blows my brain because you and I, we lay down welds. We do it all the time, but he can walk up and say, Oh, you didn't have enough shield gas or, Oh, you didn't have enough, you know, voltage here or this or that, or all the science ways to make it better. He's a straight nut house. He's Rain Man when it comes to welding. Like this guy, <laughs> honest to God, man, you know a guy's really into welding when everything that you see in his world translates to welding. I don't care if you're getting chicken fried chicken and corn on the cob, man. Somehow that's going to relate back to welding. And he'll bring it full circle and make you learn something with it too. You'll sit there with a mouthful of food and knowledge at the same time. It's crazy. This guy can pack it in. So, so Bob, welcome back to the podcast. It's always awesome to have you on. Uh, first, we got to ask, man, how's retirement? It's wide open, baby. I thought I was going to have <laughs> all this time, and it's just project after project. So, Amen, man. We're always building cool stuff. So, you know, a little background on you. How long have you been – have you laid down more miles <laughs> from, from welding than you have a car? Yeah, probably. I've welded since 1971, <laughs> and I've visited all the major manu manufacturers in the U.S., major companies. I was the tech guy 
I'm, I'm the lab rat. I'm the guy that used to go out in the field and help people with their problems. So you'd always go in, they'd be mad as heck at you for things. By the time you left, they were feeling a lot better. So in a great career. Yeah, man. It, it, and you contribute so much to your, your problem solving skills, just to the fact that you've, you know, you welded on everything. You really do live that, that lifestyle from the things that you build in your own passion. But you, you really found such a cool network of, of friends and knowledge and uh, with the companies that you've been a part of, it's allowed you to, to grow and learn and experiment. And really there's nothing that you haven't done, tried, experimented with when it comes to metal. It's like, um, you know, you're a whole different version of Iron Man, uh, but you're so close to that when it comes to welding. There's, I welded a lot of stuff. Some of it, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> Government secret stuff. If they told you, they'd have to kill you. So, yeah. Yeah, man. It's been fun. Oh, this is going to be fun as always, you know, because it doesn't matter how good I think I'm feeling about how I'm welding or, you know, I, I think I've got it all understood. I mean, literally, I can have a two minute conversation with you and boop. Whoa, that's something I never thought about. That's something I never realized. That's just a setting that's always been there, but I didn't quite understand what it did. So I think you guys strap on your seatbelts. This is going to be an awesome ride. Uh, I think today we're going to dive heavy into TIG. Now to get us started, you know, I think a lot of folks kind of get right into the steel. So we'll get a little baseline, but we're going to just keep ratcheting it up. So, you know, stay tuned, stay in touch. Uh, mm. Keep your, uh, your, your ears full on. Maybe get your notepad because uh, we're going to lay down some knowledge today with, with the welder Bob. <laughs> Amen to that. We'll see you right after the break. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We're fired up today. We have a great friend. And man, I really think because he was so influential to to me when it comes to welding and especially you know helping out kevin any issue or wild thing that he wanted to learn um this guy is is a a friend but man he's a teacher a professor a guy that you love to absorb some of his wisdom and knowledge from because he's he's just that well of a resource um bob welcome back to the podcast man it's been too long since we had you on uh we're glad to grab a little bit of time with you man thanks for having me here it's good to talk with you guys so we want to cut our teeth quick man Steel. Let's talk steel. Just get a baseline on it. When it comes to TIG welding, which, you know, we, we've spoken in the past about some MIG stuff, um, but we really want to get in on TIG welding today. Um, just, you know, before we get started, walk us through what you believe top three mistakes people make or people think about TIG welding. It could be perception-wise. It could be intimidation factor. It could be equipment. But what do you think is the holdup to keep people from converting over to TIG welding so oftentimes out there? Yeah, if we're talking about DC TIG, uh, relatively straightforward, but they don't realize there's certain chill gas. you got to use argon, okay? I, I've had guys trying to use 10% CO2 if somebody told them something. So you got to remember that all of this welding 
is basically science. All right. It breaks down to simple things. So shale gas is a little bit of a, especially for beginners, okay, in the field. Then maybe choosing tungstens. Uh, and then just a little bit of technique. I mean, uh, this is not inherent stuff that you just are born with. This is stuff you have to practice, right? Don't jump in and think you're going to weld up aluminum boats or something because uh, you bought a brand new ACDC pig. It takes time. You got to start at the bottom and work up slowly. Uh, steel being relatively easy. If you've ever oxy fuel welded or brazed, TIG welding is kind of similar. You got a heat source in your hand. Uh, you got a control down at your foot for the heat. And you got a shield gas. What you're going to get, you're going to melt metal. All right. And once you understand what a well pool looks like, Nah, I can start to teach you and drag you along down this long winding road. Well, let's talk about that weld pool. You mentioned that, and so often people refer to that. That's really the epicenter of all the action and focus. Um, what are people looking for when it comes to that weld pool? How do they move it? What's the best way to, to you know, sort of uh, approach a, you know, a simple TIG weld for people that are, are looking to, you know, sort of convert over from doing MIG all their, all their life? So here's the problem. So when you're MIG welding, you're going to pull the gun trigger and you're going to squirt metal. And TIG is wildly different. TIG have a heat source. Hopefully, I never tuck the tungsten down to the well pool. Hopefully, you know what happens. Right. You, you got a heat source and you got to wait for the metal to melt. And when she melts, she's going to tell you it's going to be bright, shiny little pool. Now, as you guys and I talked before, you got to be able to see, right? You've got to have good vision. If you want to wear a cheater, wear a cheater. Reader glasses, yes. Reader I suggest glasses. readers. <laughs> You're going to watch this molten pool, and she's going to talk with you. This but, the kind you know, of you stuff say, you say it talks well. to you. But you're right. There's a shiny part of that puddle, yeah. and then just just on the outside layer, you can see it getting some black stuff building up in it. And as you get, you know, back to the point where it's starting to, you know, sort of lock up, it, it's it's wild what that puddle is doing. But it's a it's a living thing there, um, and you got to feed it. You got to constantly keep it hot and keep that that metal moving. What are some ways that people can do that? Well, I mean, you have control most times for a decent TIG machine. You have a foot control, and that's your heat. That's your speed. You got to press it down. You get a puddle started. And when she turns bright silver, you can try to move her down the plate. But if you don't have enough heat, she's not going with you. That puddle is just going to disappear, right? Yeah, when I, you know, try to teach friends TIG, you know, one of the things I'll try to say is, hey, you got your foot, you got your left hand, you got your right hand, you got a lot of things going on, and it gets complicated so maybe first out of the bat just forget about the filler and just learn the puddle right just learn the heat with your foot grow that puddle you know that pool as size that you want and then like you said start moving it and it's just the puddle it's gonna you know freeze up behind you but you want to make sure that you're learning how much heat it takes to keep that puddle that pool the size you want and the speed moving down and then you can kind of maybe look at the back side of whatever panel you got and you can kind of get an idea of if you have the penetration that you're looking for. Uh, and just do that a number of times and get the hand motion before thinking about adding filler. Now, I mean, do you find that helpful for folks or do you do something different? Absolutely. You have to keep the pool underneath that tungsten. If you move too fast, 
you're not going to have a pool underneath your tungsten, and that's where your heat is. That's where your penetration takes place. So I equate it to oxy-fuel. The first time you ever made an oxy-fuel well, you had to sit and wait and wait and wait. Well, with electric MIG, it's, I mean, or electric fig, it's instant. I mean, you push that pedal down, you'll melt material. And now just carry her down the plate. Again, don't worry about the filler metal, like you said. That comes later. After you carry puddles, now you start to worry about how you're going to sneak that little wire into that well pool. Now, another thing I want to bring up, because we are we keep referencing heat and making sure you're melting that puddle and all that, but uh, one thing that occurs that a lot of people, I, I've had a victim. Man, the first time when I first started doing my wide body, you know, I, and I did it so I could learn how to TIG weld, I had to replace the gas cap on the side of the quarter panel. Well, I just did a little patch panel, and I TIG welded it in. I was doing exactly what you said, but what I forgot is if you put too much heat in one side or area, the rest of this whole quarter panel got affected, and I mean the whole thing moved. And it literally, honestly, God, it took me several days to fix how bad I damaged that because I hadn't learned up until that point because – you know, every accident and error is a, is a great teacher. And believe me, I learned a valuable lesson then on making sure you don't put too much heat in the panel um, because everything around it has to remain, you know, as it was before you started throwing so much heat at it. And that's an excellent point for pig welding because I can control that heat input with my foot pedal, with my amperage. So typically, one ampere for every thousandth of plate thickness. That's the way you'd set up the machine. MIG, guys kind of crank up a wire in a voltage and start squirting steel. That's kind of hard to control. PIG is very, very precise. So any heat you apply to a panel is going to cause a heating and a shrinking, right? Stretching and shrinking. So TIG, I control that with my foot so I can watch it. I watch how everything's happening. I can see the temper colors. I can help control that much better, and I can go very low currents. I can go down to five amps. Explain what you mean by the temper colors. A lot of people, how far do you want that that ring to occur, those layers? Everybody that's TIG welded, you'll see the metal react to it, and you'll see how far the heat absorbs into the metal, and it's, and it's changing the color of it. Explain that a little bit. Now, you don't want it to see it go out too far. You want to see that bright, shiny pool. Then you want to see a little bit of heat color on the edges, and you want to start moving. When you see that temper color start to grow, it means right. you're in big trouble. Something. <laughs> yeah, I would advise anyone thinking about TIG, just get some thicker plate. Stay away from the sheet metal until you can move quick, right? Because it's real easy to start saturating, especially in thin metal. So, Willie, I mean, I think you jumping on sheet metal was bold. Oh, yeah, man, right out the gate. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, and especially, I think, with aluminum, because that runs real fast out in front of you because it's got such a high conductivity. So I think, man, get get your rhythm to where you can move. So as soon as you start to make that pool, you're just running. So you're just digging that one little trench where you're uh, you know, putting your weld, getting those two, two pieces joined together, but you're trying not to heat everything else and get as much, let's say, reduction in warpage as possible. At least that's, that's kind of my approach. Reason that car took nine years to build, bro. <laughs> Everybody wants to start with hard stuff, though. Everybody wants to jump straight to 24-gauge panels. And you're right, mm -hmm. Kevin. You, you got to go with the heavier stuff. You get a hand for it. This is why practice is important. Yeah, and I think uh, when we get into aluminum, I think that's 
really where a lot of people run into trouble is, you know, they saturate the heat. They're not moving quick enough, right? They're just not quite capable of staying ahead of it. So, you know, I think get a lot of steel down under your belt before jumping to the aluminum side. Now, you know, you mentioned a couple of things real quick on the steel, Bob. So getting ourselves a baseline, uh, what do you recommend for tungsten, tungsten size, gas flow? Uh, you mentioned argon. Uh, why is there a difference between a MIG gas and a TIG gas? So I'm stuck with TIG with this uh, thing called the tungsten electrode, and it is reactive. Okay, it can't tolerate oxygen or carbon dioxide. It'll, it'll oxidize the tungsten itself and erode it. So now it's going to mess up your arc stability. So with TIG, you're pretty much stuck with straight argon or argon helium blends. They're both inert gases. MIG, I like a reactive gas. It adds heat to the arc. But for TIG, eh, eh, it's a no-no. Mm. There's chemistry, the little bit mm. of science behind it. There's that chemistry, guys, right there, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. So tungsten, just like everything else, there's all of these different tungstens. Yeah, we got reds, we got greens, we got lanthanated. I mean, people can get kind of confused. <laughs> they serve a purpose, have specific functions. Back in the day, there was red and green. Bad, and they snuck in a yellow because the red is 2% thoriated. They stuck in a yellow was 1% thoriated. All of these mixtures added to the flexibility of the process. They were gearing it up to weld better using better tungstens suited for certain materials. Right? So green was always aluminum. That was the pure lower melting temperature. Red, uh, thoriated, higher melting temperature, good for the steels and stainless steels. Well, Thoria tungsten uh, ran into some problems, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years back. It's radioactive. So they came out with Syria and Lanthana. These are rare earths. Okay. I mean, that doesn't always mean a bad thing. A third arm when it comes to TIG welding would be a big, a big helpful tool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a seriated tungsten, the lanthanated rare earths, I can now use them for both DC and AC. They respond well in both, so I really don't have to have two different tungsten. A big debate out there whether Syria is better than Lanthana. I am not going to argue that point. It's like pointless, right? Uh, but they do have purposes. I can now sharpen them and run them in AC, which was unheard of back in the you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So tungsten is important. Read the manufacturer's recommendations, but uh, I'm kind of a Syria or Lanthana guy now. Okay, so give us a color that you would most often go with if you're doing steel oh, or stainless steel. So red. Uh, make it easy. Give us a color. Yeah, but that's not so easy anymore because they messed up the color codes. Uh, you have gray, <laughs> black, and gold, and orange. Oh, you smoke. Okay. And there are different wow. degrees. Then somebody came out with a purple one. And that's a mixture of Syria, Lanta. This is straight Roy G. Biv. Before we run out of time... We got to talk chrome molly because so many people are building, you know, row cages. So many people are building, you know, hot rods and rat rods. And so many people are diving into chrome molly. What's the difference between, say, chrome molly and a regular steel that somebody might be, you know, welding? Oh, man. It's a jump. It's a major, major jump. Mild steel, man, you can put in a hot pass. Put in a smoker, you know, and everything's good to go. The metal doesn't, you know, mine much or anything. You make that same kind of well with chrome molly, you're going to have cracking issues. So when I choose a filler metal, right, 
major thing that I have to do. I got to know what my base materials are. I choose a filler metal to go in there. With steels, you want an overmatch. You want that weld a little tougher than the base mild steel. Okay. Chrome Molly, that's not necessarily the case. I want to under spec that filler material a tad, or else my wells get hard. And this is all based on the material thickness. And if you're going to post heat treat it, now you're down, you're down in metallurgy now, but it becomes more complicated. Tons of good information out on the web about it, but make sure you go to credible sources to find this information, right? So what would you do if you're if different if you're welding chrome molly? Uh, I'm going to keep my bead size a certain way. My, my heat input's down low. I don't want to overheat the material, but I don't want it to cool fast. Cooling fast promotes cracking in chrome molly. So you would normally think you're going to, I'm going to run a chrome molly filler rod. On thick sections, that's absolutely the case. On thick sections, I'm probably going to heat treat it afterwards, but not on roll cages. I don't know anybody who heat treats roll cages no. as a general rule. No. Uh -uh. I, I don't. Right? So you're in the as welded condition. So most chrome molly is what they call normalized condition. So when I weld it, if it's a little less strength than the base material, that weld is going to be able to give. If it doesn't give, what does it do? It breaks. Uh -huh. So this is why you got to be very, very careful that you know what you're welding, uh, what the material is, and then what filler metal you're going to use. A 70S2, which is an old MIG wire, works actually very well for chrome molly tubing on roll cages. I, I was actually going <laughs> to guess that. No, no, I wasn't. It's I had worked. no idea. You know. Um Hey, but all right, so we're going to finish up on Chrome Molly and get into what everybody's thinking about aluminum. Everybody has a date with aluminum. You probably just haven't set yours yet. All right, coming up, we'll talk to you on how to wine and dine that sucker. Back out of the break, it's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. Kevin Bird and Willie B. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We have our buddy Bob, who's just a Mac when it comes to welder straight truck y'all this guy knows everything when we left we were talking about how to weld chrome molly and what kind of metal you want to use and we were talking about a few of them but it's really when it gets down to it bob isn't it just basically the 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 lower end you know um steel that you're putting into it because it's going to absorb some of that chrome molly during the process that's correct it's going to dilute some into that so a lot of times when these guys are welding these roll cages also They'll put in tiny, tiny little concave beads, right? Because they want them to look real pretty. And a nice concave bead is really good, right? No. No. It's actually horrible. That <laughs> concave bead has a lot of stress on the surface. When it shrank, it pulled tension on the surface of that bead. So you don't want concave small beads. You got to get enough heat in there that you don't shock the material. You actually want to get chromoly hot and you want it to cool kind of slow. And the dilution of steel filler helps it be a little bit weaker so it can stand the stresses in the joint. 
there's a lot of science here. Yeah. So are you looking for a straight 45 kind of That'd weld between the tubes yes. or would you see a little bulbousness? A little convex is okay. okay. So anything from flat to convex. Yeah. Yeah. These race car guys don't like convex beans. They want them, you know, on Weight savings. Weight savings. They want it to look oh. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, man. Just remember hot and slow. Which describes a lot of the girls I dated in high school. Um, uh, so <laughs> let's move on to aluminum, man, because aluminum is the uh, aluminum is the uh, it's the holy grail. If if you're in a car clique or you got a group of car buddies, there's always one guy, or you're always looking for a guy that can, you know, build you a fuel cell or weld aluminum or you know help you out with that aluminum bracket brace you got to get fixed or repaired. There's always that guy you're looking for. Well, here's how you become that guy. Here's how you 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 work with aluminum in ways that gives you some confidence. What you know, aluminum is so crazy, man. It's such a it's such a wild metal to work with because it starts it starts going to liquid quick, and once it does, it has an attitude about joining anything else. Absolutely correct. If you're a steel welder and I'm going to take you over to the aluminum side, I may have to remove your brain and turn it around inside your head. <laughs> yeah. Because a, a steel guy is going to do this thing and play around and do all this. And with aluminum, you've got to go in hot and you've got to start to move. Aluminum is thermally conductive. It's going to suck the heat away real fast. So you've got to pour the coals to it to get started. Once she starts, though, you better start to go because she's not going to tell you she's hot. There's no temper color in aluminum. So you better be watching that well bead we talked about, that puddle. That puddle tells you everything you need to know. When she gets the size you need, you better start to run. You're working on small yeah. parts. You'll get into a heat soak, and all that stuff will go down into your lap. It'll go into your gloves, down your sleeves. It'll go places you don't want it to go. Sounds fantastic. Yes, I can't I wait. Know. Yeah. Same kind of tip with same kind of tip with steel tig. Start thicker. Uh, you know, obviously you don't want to get so thick that because it does absorb a lot of heat. So you got to put some heat to it. You got to lay down the wick. But start with something thick enough. Uh, you know, at least at least 065 or I'd say higher. Uh, that's going to give you a whole lot better ability to not and and something of a say a larger piece. You know, not some tiny two little you know corner <laughs> inch by inch you know, piece. pieces of plate, man. It's yeah. going to saturate uh, and it's yeah, it's going to drive you nuts. Give yourself at least something with some size to it, because uh, that that puddle and managing that puddle is tricky. And like I said, maybe even the same thing. Grab yourself a, a decent size plate, you know, ten by ten or something, and. Practice getting the puddle, like start it, stop it, start it, stop it, and then just move that puddle. And you'll see how fast you got to move that puddle before you even start thinking about throwing the filler out in there. Well, that and also the, uh, something we, we haven't touched on is prep work because when when aluminum starts to go, like they said, there's no temper color and you can't see when it's, when it's getting hot. You just have to know it. You have to follow the puddle. But something's occurring on that surface because there's an, a layer of oxidation on most aluminum occurs really fast. And if you haven't prepped it right or didn't do your homework, or even so, maybe you didn't get it all the way through. Once that initial layer burns, it becomes much softer. But that initial layer, is, it requires a little more heat, doesn't it, Bob? It requires a little more fire and torch to get that thing out of the way. Well, you're not going to melt that outer layer. That outer layer is aluminum oxide. It melts like 10,000 degrees, right? It's a refractory. So you have to mechanically or electrically remove it. First, you got to degrease your parts. 
cleanliness is the key to almost all wealth. We didn't speak about that with chrome molly, but chrome molly, you got to have the oils off the materials. Aluminum is no different. You got to be super clean. And now I got to get this oxide layer off, and it can be tenacious. It's it's a thick layer, depending on how long the aluminum's been laying around. I'm going to take a stainless steel wire brush and get most of it off. And I mean a brandy new clean wire brush, not one yeah. that you brush down the transmission or, or engine parts. <laughs> oh, that would be awful. Greaser. <laughs> I'm talking about a virgin brush there because you got to get the surface clean. In AC TIG, the reverse polarity cycle also helps strip off the rest of that oxide layer. But it, unless you've cleaned it prior, it may not really clean it as well as you'd like. So there's a two-part cleaning going on. Mechanical up front, well, first with a, with a chemical, then a mechanical, and then with the arc itself, we'll etch the plate. I got to get through that hard, hard layer to get to that nice, soft aluminum. If not, you will see a scum on top of the well pool. That bright, shiny pool you're supposed to be looking at, she's going to be scummy looking. Uh, you see that a lot if you don't have enough shield gas. right? You get any uh, atmosphere in by your well zone, that pool is going to get scummy looking. she got to stay bright and shiny, a reflective mirror. Then you know you're right. Well, that is the key. I mean... Just to kind of hit that home again, if your aluminum isn't clean, it's just going to cause nothing but trouble. You're going to see black soot, and like you said, uh, just a film in there. It's just going to be nasty. It's going to spit and sputter on your tungsten. You're going to throw things, and you're going to hate it. So <laughs> absolutely start with clean. And if you think about steel, right, when it's exposed to you know moisture, oxygen, it'll start to rust. But like you said, on aluminum, it's an oxide, and that's kind of the equivalent of rust and aluminum or rust and steel sort of but it's Absolutely. like i said it's incredibly hard and that's what protects aluminum and keeps it from you know corroding in a lot of situations where right? it's not extreme but that's why you can throw aluminum out in the yard for you know a year and it just has kind of a gray look instead of being rusted through that oxide layer is protecting but you got to get it off and you got to get through it um, so just to put it in perspective see the aluminum oxide is on the surface of that material it's very similar to the actual pink cup that's on the end of that pig torch. It's an alumina cup. And what is alumina? Aluminum oxide. So that's how tough that is. And people don't quite understand that until I take the cup and I hit them in the head with it. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought up cups because I was going to ask you a question about that. But before we get into the cups and what size you do and where do you put the tungsten and all that stuff, um, what speed? Everybody talks about how much faster you got to move with aluminum. Um, let's say the same perspective pieces, right? Same gauge. How much faster uh, are you going to move on aluminum than you would, say, on steel? Is it 20, 25 percent? Is it 40 percent faster um, given the relative I, I, I identical piece? It could be it could be double uh, again, depending on what you're doing and how uh, thin sections. You have to move pretty quick. You got to keep your heat low and you got to dab it along. So, you know, 20, 30 inches a minute, you're dancing down this part. Quarter inch aluminum obviously is going to be slower and it's probably not faster than MIG welding. MIG welding aluminum, I'm going to sail. I'm, I'm going to be flying down the part because I'm punching in a lot of wire behind me. 
people would think you're adding it by hand. So that's a little tough to say apples to apples, but yeah. You can run them both the same speed, I would say, um, but you could probably get away with going a lot slower in steel before it bites you. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know? So it's not like you have to, you know, go twice as fast as steel, but if you're not moving quick enough, you know, you'll see an aluminum and you'll start to see your part, you'll see your puddle, instead of being just this perfect, shiny little thing that's moving with you, it gets, I don't know, wrinkly, gray. And wide. You know, it's just, and yeah, wide. So it's just wide. falling apart. And that's where you just got to back off. Back off, keep your shield gas on it, you know, and let it cool down so you're not oxide, getting oxides in there. Uh, and just back off and let it cool. When you see you it know? start to sink on you, you better you better pick up. And these are the things <laughs> that, you know, the keys yeah. of watching that well pool. you got to watch that pool. It's your only center of attention. You really don't watch tungsten. You don't watch where you're putting filler metal. That's uh, muscle memory after practicing and practicing. So you keep saying you got to watch the pool. Let's talk about how you do that. Do you know? Do you find that people have a better chance of watching the pool if they have a clear, like the the glass on uh, my TIG welder? I have the clear cup, and for me, it it helps me in, in a lot of ways follow that puddle and keep a better eye on it. Um, but you know, a man of your stature and welding wisdom doesn't need something like that. But but I find it it does indeed help. What what would you recommend, and how far? Are you setting out the tungsten? Give us kind of, kind of a rundown of how you set up the machine handle and, uh, you know, if you were doing like mild steel or, or aluminum. Yeah, the tungsten normally sticks out of the cup short amount, uh, enough to give you visibility when you're down on top of that weld, all right? Uh, I an don't eighth want of an excessive inch. amounts out there. I want to keep maybe a quarter inch of tungsten out quarter front. Inch. I'll rock the cup down and I'll have my head looking from the side into where I'm welding. I weld toward myself. With TIG, you are always pushing the weld with the tungsten. Whichever direction the tungsten is pointing, that's the, the way you're going. I mean, I've seen guys try to drag TIG. That doesn't work. You can't drag TIG. Guys. <laughs> so as I'm looking up inside there, I want just enough tungsten out. Now, they invented this thing called the gas lens. You know, like back in the 60s, I think. I mean, I actually worked with a guy who did that, uh, Gene Gorman. I'm a, I'm a lens believer, right? The lens gives you a better stream. I can keep that tungsten out a little farther. That helps me on certain joints that I have to reach in deep. Because what I'm really after is keeping the arc length about the thickness of the tungsten itself. I want to be about 60 thousandths off the puddle with a 1 tungsten. And that's pretty close. As so you keep will, that arc link, that arc that. from the end of the tungsten to the pool. Keep top that, of the pool. Yeah, top of the pool. You want to keep that about as wide as the tungsten. And, yes. And, you know, there's times, especially in aluminum, where it wants to jump and it wants to flip around and flop around. No. What's going on there? And how do you tighten that up? If that tungsten's flopping around, then you have over too much current. You've gone over the current limit for that specific size tungsten and you need to do a couple things maybe jump to the 332 the next size up and sharpen it back the new tig machines you actually can sharpen it you don't have to run with that floppy ball if you have an old traditional machine you're going to be stuck with that that floppy ball at the end of that tungsten which is not horrible once you learn 
that you have to size your tungsten with the amperage you're using, that it's a no-brainer. That's what we always did in the past. Today, we get to cheat. I can take a 116th well below the old current limit and still weld uh, on aluminum with it with a point, which I like better because it gives you better current density. I can keep things tighter with yeah. little smaller beads. Yeah, I will say, you know, for a lot of people getting that, if you have two plates coming together, you know, there's technically maybe a little bit of a gap. And, and I know, Philly, that's the part you're talking about where it's maybe jumping from one plate to the other before you can get that pool, you know, where the arc is then sort of concentrating. So that start, I think, gets a lot of people, you know, so once you can get your speed, you're doing good. But sometimes the start can be a, a pain in the ass because you start to melt and then one side tends to melt, you know, away and form a big, you know, bead on one side. Now you have a gap between the two. So that's a little bit tricky. And then, like you said, Bob, you're kind of angling and pointing your tungsten the way you want to go. But if you angle too much and you try to get your filler rod, sometimes you're exposing the filler and it drops off before you can get it in the pool. So there's a little trickery yeah, going little, on in there for a lot of people, too. Yeah, uh, and it's exactly right. It's like a Johnny Cash, man. Get a get a rhythm to it, you know? Yeah, you got to um, get a rhythm. But you got to know yeah. where to place the filler rod. And if you're trying to go straight in front of the tungsten, well, you're going to suffer the brunt of the heat. So you kind of go to the edge of the well pool with it. And I'm since I'm a right-handed guy, my left hand's coming in. I'm coming in a little bit on the back side, but not directly in front of that hot tungsten because that it, it's going to melt. Now you minimize that again by what you said. If you tip the torch up more perpendicular instead of being more parallel to the plate. So there are tricks to it. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're using that cup to kind of shield the heat to the filler rod, right? And, until you can get down in there and, like you said, just touch the outside of that pool, and it'll it'll suck it right into the pool where your tungsten is kind of aiming and pulling, you know? Sucks it right in. Yep. Yeah. It, it, if you're using the right diameter filler rod. <laughs> and it's so weird, you know, in, in short, because we've got to wrap things up, I'll tell you, it, what's really cool is once you get in this groove – Right. And once you you feel it working, there is a very just a rhythm about it and things start to pile in and move and and look the the way you expect them to. Um, but it really is muscle memory and just redundancy doing it over and over and over. But when you're doing it right, you definitely feel it. And when you're doing it wrong, consequently, you definitely <laughs> feel <tell> it. <laughs> um, all right, Bob, um, where do people find more? Where do you uh, where would you know? If, uh, if somebody wanted to ask you some questions or, you know, find more about welding, wh where would somebody like yourself send them to? I'd go up to the web. And again, make sure that you go to credible sources, major manufacturers of welding equipment, you know, Aesop Miller, Lincoln, Everlast. I don't, I don't care your brand. They publish all good stuff. I stay away from some of the yahoos on YouTube because they crack me up because uh, that's more of a show. They're doing these things to kind of make a, a dynamic show of it, you know, to get users watching them. Go to the guys that invented the stuff. They know. And there's tons of stuff out there. The, the Mr. Yahoos. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. the Yahoos. <laughs> hey, don't worry about going to our show, Aaron Weekends, on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. It's also available on Motor Trend Plus, which is our streaming service and a great way to find us. A lot of episodes up there as well. Thanks for our guest, our buddy Bob. We call him Bob. 
Bob uh, Blitzky uh, from uh, Aesop was how we first met the guy, but he's been a wealth of knowledge of all things to do with metals, metallurgy, and welding. So we appreciate his time. Uh, my man Kevin Bird, I am Willie B, your producer Scoop, and executive producer Bob Ecker. Yeah, don't forget to check out our website, twoguidesgarage.com. Lots of great info on there. All about our shows, the things we use, and share your thoughts with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Guys Garage. Now, this Two Guys Garage podcast, it's copyright 2023, Brenton Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved. You know, I don't, I don't know why, but uh, somehow I got really comfortable with with aluminum, and I really like it. I like the way the puddle moves. It just, it's got some stability. You can make it look pretty. I think once you can kind of get past the cleanliness and going fast, and the, you know, the heat where maybe you're you're dropping your puddle off the the filler a little bit too early. But the thing I I still want to you know, get that perfect dance with is stainless steel. That's like you know? having a love for redheads who like cats. I'm not, I'm not there yet, man. I'm not there yet. I'll stick with, uh, I'll stick with uh, steel and TIG welding. I love TIG welding steel, but aluminum, uh, I haven't mastered it, but I haven't practiced with it, and therein lies the problem. So more I take practice. aluminum any day of the week. I love it. I don't know really? why. Any day of yeah. the week. I'm, I'm going to be, in a, I'm running a big aluminum job right now for South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. My son-in-law works for the uh, Waddell Mariculture Center. He, he's a marine uh, biologist. They raise fish. So we're making these aluminum cradles for egg catchers, which is hilarious. But anyway. Spoken like true engineers. I'll take the aluminum. I'm just, I'm just, I'm in my zone. It's flowing. The aluminum just wets. It's pretty. You can look good. Like I, I can make two inches look great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. If it's like, thicker than a beer can and aluminum, I'm happy. Um, but like I said, we're going to get you back soon, Bob. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into yeah. stainless. Uh, you know, I got all the cleanliness and the lenses, but you know, it just, it's more runny and, and to try to, and I'm talking about making it look pretty, you know, but if you're running a, a like a header tube or something like that, you know, just getting Ooh, those little stack of dimes to not be kind of left and right, you know, cause it's sort of splashy. So yeah this is on the steels uh, stainless you set your yeah, stainless. stainless yep on stainless you, you got to keep a short arc length i mean short short yeah. well, you got to join us on another that, podcast because we gotta right. go that's right Y'all take save care. it for the next one <laughs> hope you guys learned something today we'll have bob back on again uh see you on the next two guys garage podcast Two Guys Garage Podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.